0: So, good afternoon everyone. I'm just going to double check that the microphones are on. They are. Yep. So, good afternoon again everyone and welcome. So, Africa Europe, Europe Africa, the EU Africa Partnership. Whichever way you call it, whatever you call it, this relationship, this partnership is a long-standing one and a very valuable one and one that really responds especially to today's challenges. But while we all agree on the importance of this relationship, I think you'll agree that we also need it to be revitalized, re-energized and modernized to take into account the challenges we face in today's turbulent and pretty uh, challenging world. Um, said that, having said that, it's clear that all of us here are working in different ways to revitalize this relationship. The European Union is doing it, the European Commission, the External Action Service, and we're here today because the Centre for Global Development has brought out a report which is also about how you re-energize and reorient and actually define this relationship in the coming years and this is an important moment to do that because of course we have a new EU leadership and we're hoping that you know this will take it in a new more positive direction. Uh, We at Friends of Europe, I'm Shada Islam from Friends of Europe, we're also working on this with the One Campaign and also with the Mo Ibrahim Foundation and the European Commission so in a sense it's great minds think alike and that's why I'm really delighted to be here today. So some rules of the game, Michela Gavas from the Centre for Global Development will present uh, a PowerPoint in which she will define and underline some of the salient points of this new report. Uh, after that we have a very, very interesting and quite an amazing panel of experts and policy makers who will join me here on the, on the platform, on the, on the stage. We have Stefano Banservisi Director General for DG DEFCO, and uh, Stefano, of course, is one of the most eminent, I have to say, active policymakers on development. And I've always cherished our partnership, Stefano, and will miss you very much uh, when you retire but thank you very much for being here. Uh, Also with us, Her Excellency Sena Boateng, Ambassador of Ghana to the European Union. You'll join us here on stage as well later on. Michaela, of course, will stay with us and take questions. Uh, We have Mr. Ambroaz Fayol, uh, Vice President of the European Investment Bank. And last but not least, my dear friend, Korn Verwake, Managing Director for Africa at the External Action Service. So without further ado, Michaela, this is your show. Uh, Could I ask you to come here, please, and present Uh, the salient features of your uh, roadmap for changing this relationship. Please.
1: Great. Thank you very much. Thank you, Shada. Thank you all for being here. Uh, It's a great privilege for me to um, stand here and present the Centre for Global Development's um, roadmap for the new European leadership. Uh, This is a joint effort by a number of uh, researchers from CGD, uh, some of whom are actually in the room today, so uh, please feel free to to corner them when you have a chance. So, uh, what I'm going to do is uh, very briefly tell you who we are, uh, because I'm sure uh, some of you do not know us. Um, I'm going to go on to talk about our motivation uh, for the roadmap, and then I'm going to set out um, our proposals These are proposals for how we think the new EU leadership uh, can move from an aspiration of an EU-Africa partnership uh, to reality. So we are a non-partisan independent think tank. We're based in Washington DC, in London, and in Brussels. Um, And we mainly focus on the intersection of developing countries and the governments and institutions uh, that can help them uh, deliver the greatest progress. So we conduct uh, rigorous, um, impartial economic research, and and what we try to do is design very practical policy solutions, as well as spur intellectual debate and critical global development conversations. Um, Some of the key uh, uh, work that we've done are on the slide, um, including Uh, incubating the landmark legislation. This is the BUILD Act uh, to strengthen U.S. development finance and the new U.S. development finance institution. Um, We've designed the advanced market commitment for vaccines. Uh, We've created the cash on delivery aid model, um, as well as development impact bonds. Um, And we're the architects of the uh, commitment to development index. Uh, This is an index that ranks countries um, according to how beneficial their policies are uh, towards developing countries. Uh, And finally, we also convene an annual conference of development leaders uh, for critical learning uh, based on uh, practical um, experience. So why a roadmap? Um, Well, we think the arrival of a new leadership team in Brussels actually provides a major opportunity for Europe to rebuild, rethink um, a partnership with its continental neighbour, Africa. Why? And why is this so important? Well, firstly, because the scale of the development challenge uh, in Africa is huge. By 2030, around one quarter of Africa's population is expected to be living in poverty. Uh, The continent will contribute more people to the workforce each year than the rest of the world combined. So to avoid mass unemployment, African economies will need to create more than 18 million jobs per year. Uh, And yet, trade, investment, and productivity uh, lag far behind other regions add to this the threats posed by climate change large scale epidemics and rising debt and it's clear that africa needs development partnerships now more than ever secondly the regions underdevelopment has serious consequences for the eu we are already seeing these so, Africa's vulnerability has contributed to the influx of refugees and migrants. This has rocked the EU's internal cohesion, its empowered populist forces, threatened the survival of the Union, but it has also come at, at a high opportunity cost for European investors, consumers, and employers. A prosperous Africa would provide new opportunities for investment, Uh, cheaper and more varied imports and a ready supply of skilled new workers at a time when Europe's working age population is in serious decline. And thirdly, the EU is well placed to offer Africa a mutually beneficial partnership. We believe the EU has the ambition, the tools and the opportunity to build a true development partnership with Africa. It is already Africa's largest trading partner, investor, and development assistance provider. The EU-Africa Alliance announced last year was an important first step. So our roadmap attempts to outline how this vision can become a reality. In our report, uh, we examine specific policy areas. We look at four areas, migration, development finance, trade, and global health. And what we try to do is present actionable proposals that the EU's new leadership can take forward. Now, we do not contend that these are the only areas where the EU can make a difference. But they are areas where significant and meaningful progress uh, can be made that benefits both Africa and Europe. So if Europe is, con- is to continue to grow and sustain its current social programs, it will need a substantial increase in the number and type of workers. At the same time, the working, aid po- working age population in sub-Saharan Africa is booming. While most of these new labour market en- entrants will join increasingly developed local economies or migrate regionally, others will seek work in Europe. So in May, f- in May 2015, the European Commission presented a comprehensive European migration uh, agenda on migration designed to respond to the 2015 refugee crisis through four pillars. So under these four pillars, much has been achieved. Increasing refugee resettlement numbers, supporting member states with border management, financing integration projects, combating smuggling networks, fighting trafficking, uh, and working broadly on development and security efforts in countries of origin. And these, re- these efforts have resulted in successes, including reducing the level of irregular uh, irregular arrivals. But future success is not guaranteed. To reduce the incentives for irregular migration, attract the right set of talent and skills to Europe, and enable admissions to uh, to be tailored to labour market needs, Europe needs new kinds of legal pathways for migrants. So while the Commission cannot propose a common migration policy, it does actually have an important role to play in promoting, facilitating, and supporting the creation of new kinds of legal labor migration pathways across Europe. So a global skills partnership is such a pathway. It is a bilateral agreement between equal partners. The country of destination agrees to provide technology and finance to train potential migrants with targeted skills in the country of origin prior to migration, and then receives migrants with precisely the skills they need to integrate uh, and contribute best upon arrival. The country of origin agrees to provide that training and gets support for the training of non-migrants too, increasing rather than draining human capital. So we think the commission should First of all, pilot and scale global skill partnership projects between Europe and Sub-Saharan Africa. The Commission is already supporting similar projects through its mobility partnerships facility and should continue to do so by expanding and diversifying the financing and support available and by providing and promoting the opportunity among member states based on the current and emerging needs and priorities. And secondly, we believe the Commission should pilot global skill partnership projects within Africa. The the Commission can finance partnerships between a country of origin, say Niger, and a country of destination, say Tunisia. And this would create a complementary workforce that helps alleviate pressures for both countries. So, investments, investment in projects in sub-Saharan Africa have great potential to achieve high development impact. However, these projects are chronically underfinanced by European development finance institutions and private investors because of real or perceived low-risk adjusted returns. So, as you can see from the graph, too little private finance actually gets invested in some of the low-income countries, and this is where the need is greatest. The problem is not a lack of money or tools. It is that the development finance institutions are not incentivized to make riskier investments in underserved markets due to operational, institutional, and behavioral impediments. Then in 2017, the Commission launched an ambitious program of investment mobilization in Africa and its neighborhood, the European, the European External Investment Plan. This plan actually has a vital role to, pl- to play in pushing the development finance institutions beyond business as usual and incentivizing them to mobilize investment for higher risk markets. But is it actually doing this? Well, the evidence to date suggests it is not. And the main problem is that the external investment plan is troubled by a lack of a clear policy steer on its multiple objectives. So is it intended to operate as a high leverage fund, mobilizing the maximum quantity of investment for a given input of EU budgetary resources? Or is it supposed to be a high-risk fund, mobilizing investment for underserved markets with low risk-adjusted returns. At the moment, it is unclear which one of the two it is. Furthermore, the criteria for actually selecting investment proposals for EU support uh, are relatively vague. So what this means is that the development finance institutions have maximum flexibility to propose investment programs that suit their objectives, their specialization, and their risk appetite. So without any political steer or a competitive incentive, the development finance institutions are unlikely to undertake more complex or risky investment programs that are are having trouble getting off the ground. Rather, they may simply use the Commission's risk-sharing tools to increase the expected return of investment that is slightly suboptimal or worse, already commercially viable. So the problem is that the Commission, through its instruments, is not pushing the development finance institutions much beyond their day-to-day operations and in some cases may even be merely subsidising the institution's business as usual. So the external investment plan and its risk mitigation tools could mobilise investment where the need is greatest. And in order to do this, the Commission needs to, number one, clarify the strategic objectives of external investment and steer it towards leveraging high-risk capital for underserved markets. Secondly, explicitly focus assistance on the poorest countries through very clear project selection criteria. And then thirdly and importantly, federate the development finance institutions and focus on steering policy, encouraging best practice and harmonizing procedures and results. So Europe has a vital role to play in stimulating export-led growth in Africa. Not only is it the region's largest trading partner by far, accounting for more than one-third of African countries' exports, it is also a key champion of Africa's regional integration efforts, specifically the new African continental free trade area, which was ratified in May 2018. So the EU and its member states are both a vital financier of the African free trade area, and an important proof of concept that economic union is attainable, sustainable, and mutually (coughs) beneficial. The EU's trade policies for developing countries compare favorably to other advanced economies in certain key aspects. It is amongst the most open trade regime in the world for poor exporters. In fact, 52 out of 54 African nations pay low or no tariffs on their exports to Europe. And it provides substantial amounts of aid to stimulate trade, of which 60% is directed to Africa. However, there are certain long-standing non-tariff barriers to developing country trade that stain the EU's record. In our roadmap, we recommend that the Commission, number one, reform EU rules of origin, which determine where imports originate from, and therefore which tariffs are levied on them. These currently make it difficult for African countries to export products that include materials from elsewhere, and so hinder regional value chain creation. Secondly, reduce agricultural subsidies, which unfairly increase EU agricultural supply and lower prices on world markets at the cost of other nations. And then thirdly, ensure aid for trade is maximally effective by actually tying payment to results. Finally, on global health security. So in 2014 the Ebola outbreak in West Africa sickened more than 28,000 people and left over 11,000 people dead. As the outbreak spread through Guinea, Liberia, Sierra Leone disrupting markets, healthcare and routine government services the international community struggled to mount an effective response. Five years later global preparedness remains low, as shown by the most recent Ebola crisis in the Democratic Republic of Congo and Uganda. However, pandemic response is not just an issue for developing countries. In times of increased globalization, interconnectivity, and global supply chains, health security is truly a global issue, and Europe has a responsibility to protect its citizens. This means preparedness at home and abroad. It's estimated that $4.6 billion a year is required to finance preparedness. And that's significantly less compared to the predicted economic loss of $60 billion per year if a pandemic occurs. But countries are just not adequately prepared to handle these complex large-scale outbreaks. And existing funding mechanisms focus on response rather than preparedness. So total European Commission spend on global health in 2018 was around $38.9 billion. Of this, $2.9 billion went for Ebola, um, 272,000 for Zika, and and approximately 71,000 for antimicrobial resistance. But as of July 2019, the EU has committed around 50 50 million to the Ebola response um, in the DRC, with around 4 million to increasing prevention and preparedness in neighboring countries. So the EU has shown promise. But commitment by individual member states is inconsistent. And efforts across the the European Commission's directorates general is fragmented. So while, for example, the Commission is a member of the Global Health Security Initiative, only 10 EU member states are members of it. So although, although the Commission's role is mostly limited to coordinating among member states, Within the Commission itself, health security priorities and responsibilities are managed in a very segmented manner between the DGs. And these include DEVCO, ECHO, SANTE, Research and Innovation, as well as the European Centre for Disease Prevention and Control. So we think the new Commission should do three things. First of all, it needs to strengthen collaboration and coordination across the DGs and entities holding global health security responsibilities and build links between interrelated capacities. Secondly, it needs to prioritise global health security and preparedness in the Commission's dialogue with member states. And thirdly, The Commission could develop a finance mechanism to increase sustainability, collaboration and effectiveness on preparedness. A sort of a challenge fund could be established, which would help incentivize countries to invest their own resources and focus on progress towards mutually agreed outcomes. So Europe's new leadership has a unique opportunity to transform its approach to Africa into a sustainable two-way relationship based on a partnership of equals that is in both Africa's and in the EU's interests. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you, Makenna. Thank you for a very, very thorough presentation. May I ask you to take your seat? Could I ask all the panelists also to please come uh, on stage and maybe if the lights could be turned off this one, I mean, the point. otherwise it's in my eyes. Great, please, please join me. Um, thank you. Thank you very much indeed. Michaela, thank you very much. And uh, what I really do appreciate of um, your roadmap is that you've actually zeroed in on four key themes. Uh, A lot of us tend to go in all directions because when we look at this wonderful partnership, uh, as you've said, uh, we tend to take a very broad view and deal with too many things at the same time. It becomes a laundry list, right? Uh, That's because we're eager for change. But I I like the fact, personally, that you've really focused on uh, on migration, which is, of course, a challenge that has jumped up the EU agenda, Uh, trade, uh, development financing and and health. And let me just uh, explain to you how I'm going to run this. I'm going to turn to our panelists here to give their uh, reaction to what they've uh, heard, to the roadmap, to specific ideas, if possible, because we're looking for specific uh, reactions as well, but also your own uh, hopes for, for the future. But I do recognize, I see so many of you here who know so much about this issue as well that I'm going to then turn to you and give you the opportunity to engage with Michaela but also with our panelists. So uh, Stefano, I'm going to kick off with you. Um, your reaction, but also, You've been one of the most fierce advocates of uh, the Sustainable Development Goals being implemented, turned into a reality, uh, not just in Africa and developing countries, but also within the European Union. And I was just wondering, from your point of view, your vantage point, Michela and the roadmap, how does that fit in with your own agenda and your uh, very, very clear ideas about how to take this relationship forward? Please.
2: Thank you very much, uh, good evening, and thank you to Michaela for the presentation and for the center for this uh, important contribution. I think uh, it's the right moment to do it because now we will have a new college in, in, the, next, uh, in the next days, I think. And therefore it is important to uh, feed critically, you know, uh, with reflection and with suggestion for action, so it's, it's very welcome in time. Uh, point number two, mm, I'd say that there is uh, several points on which I would like maybe to add. I think uh, it is certainly important to underline the um, unique, maybe, and certainly extremely strategic relation between the EU and Africa. I would like to underline the fact that in, in the global world, which is in the making or in any case in transformation, we have at the same time as European, to get out from certain form of Eurocentrism, mm-hmm. which believes that there is only or mainly, a spatial relation between EU and Africa. Uh, l- missing in this way, uh, you know, a, a very important point, that Africa is aware of its centrality in the world, for a number of reasons that we can discuss. So the first nuance, if you may say, I would put in this, yes, we have to uh, further analyse, develop, put in motion, a partnership, then I enter a bit into maybe some, some of the orientation, but as Europeans, and something that uh, I keeps saying since a while, for the SDGs and for the analysis that we have of the world, we have to look at that for Africa a bit like Africa Africans are looking at themselves. Mm-hmm. And Africans are looking at themselves as a new protagonist or co-protagonist of many changes. Therefore, this is the first point, because if we don't put what we are doing into a, a fragmented geopolitical reality, we risk making mistakes you know and, and and missing part of the challenge that we have every day you know this is point number two let's say in the sense of int- introducing this small uh, uh, let's say nuances in the in the analysis mm-hmm. uh point number three i think uh, uh, that uh, um, we have to be aware that uh, this is even more possible precisely because we are working under the sdg uh, let's say umbrella sdgs are uh, very different from the MDGs in the past because they underline precisely the global challenge and therefore they are sort of measurement of unsustainability um, of globalization. Hence the necessity to do more as Europe as one, so it is an agenda for Europe integration, if I may say that in this way, because it is binding political on ourself inside and is pushing us uh, to be coherent and uh, Coherent and united uh, in the global uh, in the global arena, if we want uh, have a chance to contribute, uh, and also because uh, it I- it is putting the accent not only or mainly in money distribution, but in policy setting. Mm-hmm. And I think that this must be uh, very clear, you know, at the, the, since the beginning, because otherwise we'll we'll get it wrong. And I have to say, since uh, I guess we are uh, speaking freely, you know. Uh, in the sense of uh, expressing not just the formal position, I think that within the Union and in within the Commission, there is still um, extra miles to do, because this, uh, uh, let's say, specificity of the SDGs as a driver for many policy, um, yeah, let's say, choices, you know, including the coherence, are far from having been fully taken. And personally, and with me, many others, we are fully. Uh, let's say, uh, happy to see the president elected mentioning SDGs for the internal policy, European semester. For those working on this, it's a huge change, uh, huge change. And therefore, suddenly linking, uh, obviously, what we have to do, our reform agenda, our sustainability agenda, with our external action. It's not just talking about our values, solidarity, etc. But accepting to measure that and to link. So mm-hmm. this is hugely important, and for me, and for many of us, by the way, you know, it's uh, it's a relief because uh, to tell the truth, uh, this has not been perceived for long years, you know, including in some government of our member state, but certainly in the Union. Allow me to be very very frank, mm-hmm. because otherwise we will hide a bit of things. Now, third point is about uh, some of uh, the mm-hmm. inputs. You know, now this is not only for me to comment, but simply to say that migration uh, is. Uh, in my view put uh, the accent on the legal path is uh, is necessary you know we this is the part in which uh, being global f- being the trust fund being other thing you know we have been very modest for obvious political reasons obvious, you, know, you know but we have also to underline a couple of things in order to go along uh, the the path that you have you you have designed is the question of uh, you know the doing together and uh, the cooperation which is not always supported by EU rules. In other terms, uh, for labor market you know, numbers of workers which can have access, there is no commission competence no union competence, And therefore it is important, uh, if, my, if I may suggest, uh, to introduce a strong alliance with uh, the economic actors. Because at the end of the day, we will have a single market which is integrated economically with big conglomerates, mm-hmm. European multinational, so in any case, uh, Uh, economic sectors which are integrated by FIER. These economic sectors are in need, first and foremost, of workers. Mm -hmm. eh? Presumably, not only, but presumably also from outside. Hence, uh, since we cannot enact a directive which is saying this, that, and that. uh, I think that we have to build progressively this uh, migration policy on the labor market side with uh, the Economic Act of Europe. So if we have a single market of economy and a single market of labor in terms of European work, uh, in a sense, we have also to establish some common rules, the system according to which, uh, according to rules, uh, each member state is responsible for the quotas, for the numbers. uh, At the end of the day, will clash, inevitably. With uh, what is the single space and uh, and migrants, uh, even under schemes like the one you just, are interested in our single market, not just the market of one country. Therefore, we have to work on that, and the second integration policy equally, you know, because integration policy also are national, by definition, because we cannot harmonise integration, even if the points you uh, highlighted are the crucial ones language, uh, civic education, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But also here we have to work very much with the civil society in order to identify what are the drivers for then choices which are made much more longer. I think in my in migration terms this is probably the most right. important. And uh, let's say a better organisation between uh, let's say what we are doing and the minister of interiors in delivering visas is crucial because uh, you know there is nothing worse than to open a path which then is stopped because a visa is not delivered. This is a powerful disaster. Yeah. Then I will stop maybe here because yeah. there are many other things, but I will have things to say also on trade uh, mm-hmm. in there, but maybe in the framework of our discussion. Thank you.
0: So, uh, Stefano, uh, I'm mean Michaela, so I think we've taken on board that I think what the point Stefano is making is about involving the economic actors and civil society, and I think that is a very important uh, input into your, your work. So, Thank you very much indeed for that. And of course, the focus on SDGs, I I think you've made it very clear in the roadmap as well that that is where you're headed. So thank you very much indeed. Ambassador, I wanted to get your uh, reaction. Um, Stefano also made one point, uh, which I thought as reading it, I also had that reaction. It is very Eurocentric, isn't it? Did you feel that way? And if if you did, what would you suggest as kind of countering it or, or balancing it?
3: Thank you, Sada, and thank you, for how you're moderating this session and um, Michaela thank you very much for highlighting these issues for me um, and following up from what Stefano said it has become clear that we in Africa we've realized that our relationship with Europe it's not going to be business as usual this is a good and positive feeling and that means that we both Will sit around the table or are sitting around the table to discuss how our future relationship should be fashioned out and what framework to put in place to make sure that it is a win win situation. It's mutually beneficial in the areas that uh, Michaela has um, highlighted. Let's take our continental free trade area coming up. This is, um, we're supposed to. Supposed to kick start in July uh, 2020. But um, before we get there, have we addressed issues between ourselves? If you take uh, Africa, we trading amongst ourselves, Africa, is 16, just 16% of our combined GDP, okay, compared to um, Europe, which is about 75%. How is Europe doing this? Have we sat down to look at how to encourage ourselves to um, trade amongst ourselves? What are the modalities? The um, CFTA, we know it's going, apart from the WTO, is going to be the largest trading area. How is that going to be beneficial to both sides? How are we going to maximize the um, rules of origin, which uh, Michaela has talked about, and also IP, intellectual property, competition, all these are areas that we must be talking about right now so that come July 2020, we will all be in a position to enjoy the fruits of the CFTA. Mm -hmm. I think I'll stop here for now.
0: Thank you very much, uh, uh, Ambassador. I was just wondering, in terms of uh, Africa being part of global value chains, I think that's a point that Michaela made as well. That the economic transformation uh, that we, we we are hoping for uh, will require more integration into global value chains. So, do you see the CFTA and Michaela's point about being giving that emphasis and priority?
3: Certainly. What will play um, in terms of the of this? Um, issue will be the skills building we need to have the requisite skills to be able to enjoy this integration otherwise we will not be able to um, get the benefits that the youth the teaming youth of Africa is going to present what I didn't uh, hear from Michaela is what how artificial intelligence is going to um, (laughs) affect the uh, integration processes and the building of skills for the youth and prepare us for this integration process.
0: Thank you very much, Ambassador. So we'll come back to some of these issues. So turning you to, uh, to, to the European Investment Bank now, there was a very specific point that uh, Michaela made, the roadmap makes, about uh, what she calls lack of clear policies here for the external uh, investment plan when it comes to Africa, and the need to mobilize financing for the high-risk countries. And I was wondering your response to that, uh, Mr Fayol.
4: Thanks a lot for the, for the invitation. Maybe just one word about uh, EIB. The European Investment Bank is uh, the bank of the European Union, Um, and most of our activity is within the European Union. But we have uh, more or less 10% 10 outside of the EU every year, in close cooperation with uh, the European Commission and uh, and the EAS. uh, and, uh, and, And a very good part of that is in Africa. Last year, we have done 3.3 billion euros of projects financing in uh, in Africa. Three 3.3, three. 3.3 billion euros. Um, I I would say that uh, in in good part what Michaela says is uh, is is right, and in good part, it is also you know you always have a lag that uh, you feel about institutions with. Uh, uh, glasses of uh, what was the situation five or ten years ago, uh, because uh, the the situation that uh, that that you have uh, presented is true that uh, the financing is not necessarily going uh, uh, primarily to uh, to low-income countries. At the same time, it is true that uh, things have changed. We have, uh, for example, in the implementation of the the Cotonou Agreement. Uh, the ACP uh, relationship, uh, which is mostly in Africa, uh, we have uh, introduced a window for financing uh, within the investment facility those projects with higher risk and higher development impact uh, in the private sector, uh, and uh, that is quite successful. And, and I think member states are are very uh, very happy with uh, with the way we are uh, we are dealing with that. Um, I I would also say that um, where we can help uh, is to crowding in private sector resources and mobilize private sector resources, because it is clear that uh, the needs are uh, uh, so huge that we need to find ways to uh, either create efficient markets. For example, we have um, with a a big uh, asset manager uh, in Europe, uh, launch an initiative because green bonds are issued in the north, and climate uh, challenges are global. So, how do you manage to um, to have a, a funding of green bonds to be issued by financial institution in developing countries? Uh, often. In local currency, and that we have committed that we would buy these bonds so that we can try to develop the market. And uh, that is also one something that is uh, that is uh, that is quite quite uh, quite important. I will finish there. I think one of the things that we have tried to develop in the re- in the recent years as uh, an institution that is uh, putting. You know the policy priorities first uh, that uh, is developing the the links with uh, with European institutions. Uh, one of the things that uh, we have tried to do is to be to convey the message, a positive message in Europe about what is going on in Africa. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are plenty of things that are not known enough. The private equity market is developing quickly in Africa. And it's a very interesting one that that we finance through equity financing. Um, We have uh, developed what we call sustainable awareness bonds, which is, you know, you create links to what Stefano mentioned about uh, SDGs. Um, We've selected one sector, for example, water projects, and we issue bonds that are going to finance only these kind of projects. Linked to the question about... uh, uh, result management and how we can measure impact which is going to be uh, to be uh, um, to be key. Uh, uh, uh final final comment I personally was uh, surprised that climate was not one of the items that were looked at because I think it is it is absolutely a, a priority for uh, for our bank but it is a priority in general. Uh, and it is a priority for Africa certainly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, um, uh, Conversely, I think the, the priority put on health issues is, is, uh, is very well taken and uh, we need to do more in the health sector. We need also, uh, maybe we can discuss that later, but uh, when you talk about um, uh, financing in, uh, in, in Africa, of course, you need to uh, take into account the fact that there are more and more concerns about debt levels and that uh, that has an impact especially for a number of low-income countries this has an impact about the ability to increase financing but not to increase the prospect for having a debt crisis in the future
0: thank you very much Mr. Fogel. i am going to give Michaela the floor after you've all commented so i think these are valid valid questions that are being put to you. So, Kuhn, uh, I I made a very, very quick introduction to our panelists. I'm assuming that everyone here knows everyone because we are uh, working on the same uh, topics for so long. But Kuhn was, of course, the first... Uh, EU ambassador to the African Union, and uh, you know, Stefano made a point that I think is very important, which is that it's not just about Europe in Africa anymore. You know, um, and and Africa is uh, part of a chessboard, geopolitical chessboard. And sometimes I think in this city and maybe other capitals, we tend to think that we are still the priority partner, and uh, maybe we are not, and we shouldn't be, perhaps, because there's expertise otherwa- otherwise. Elsewhere as well. So, I was wondering, um, having watched the continent grow, change, transform, having watched our relationship with uh, Africa change, transform, where do you think the next uh, leap forward sh- should come from? And do you think that these four areas uh, that, that have been pinpointed are the key ones to work on? Uh, yeah, you have yours. I
5: have one. Thank you very much. Um, good question. I really believe we are still the, the prime partner. And I think the figures you mentioned on, on trade, on development assistance, uh, on investment, we are still uh, your, your biggest partner on the, on the continent. And we are certainly determined to continue and being being this. But it's not a given. And you also said, yet no business as usual. And I think that, that's good. And a bit of competition for the European Union is always good. It keeps you on your, on your toes. And I think we learned, uh, and that's why we have been over the last couple of years, to to a great extent, resetting our agenda Mm -hmm. together with Africa. We we have abandoned saying we work in Africa; we work. uh, We now we work with Africa. And at the last summit of the European Union with the African Union in Abidjan, to a certain extent, we have reset the agenda. And all the elements we are discussing here have been introduced. And in particular, uh, the focus on economic development, the focus on investment, the focus on job creation, because that's what our African partners have asked us to do, and that's linked, of course, also to skill development and, and the global health issues and, and so on. So this is now firmly uh, on the agenda, and, and I believe that the, the four areas uh, presented by the by the centre uh, fits very well into it. But it's, it's also, I agree, a critical moment because we have to deliver on this. And it's not only the a new commission that is uh, coming, we are also discussing our new financial mm-hmm. uh, so, uh, framework. cycle framework. So for the first time, we are resetting our policies and we can link it with a new, new financial cycle. So we have to ensure that the new policies are uh, implemented uh, in, in, in the future. Of course, the four areas identified, and you mentioned it, there are only four. Uh, Ursula von, von der Leyen, the, the President-elect, when she made her first uh, a speech, she said we need a comprehensive agenda for Africa. Africa was one of the, the two geographical areas she mentioned in her speech, the Balkans and Africa. So it shows already the importance uh, she will uh, attach to it. And I think it is important to uh, to keep this comprehensive approach, of course, we have to identify specific areas, and I will uh, comment on them. But it needs to fit in, in a global approach, uh, and I will come back to that. On, on migration and labour migration, legal pathways, as Stefano said, I think this has been the weakest link in, in our approach uh, towards migration. We have a full, uh, what we call the Valletta agenda, yeah. com, uh, working on the root causes, combating trafficking, working on return and readmission, and also legal pathways, and it is one uh, we haven't developed. And I think it's rather smart to see how we can link labor and skills development with migration. And in that sense, uh, I think it is a, it is a positive uh, proposal and we can develop it, it it further. It is important also because we should not see it only from Europe-Africa perspective, but also Africa internal, 70% of migration is African. Yeah. You have your free movement uh, Uh, regulation now, decision which is critical for integration. We see what is happening in South Africa these days, the tensions. Mm -hmm. Uh, We we all are confronted with the same problems, challenges, and I think together uh, we can help uh, uh, overcoming them. On uh, the external investment, yes, uh, and I will not dwell on on, on the the mechanism, but I would like to say here, and for all these areas you need to work together. It's not just us de-risking, promoting, it's also our African partners creating the right business environment, the right investment environment. Uh, and that is critically important, and we do uh, quite some work with the European uh, economic development on, on this, and which is linked also to, to trade. Um, I still sense a bit of a, of a negative perception on the economic partnership agreements, which I think uh, are not uh, not justified. But it is at the continental free trade area, which is now the game changer. And I think the, the rather clear and very clear policy decision, also by uh, President Juncker, to say our economic partnership agreements are now at the service and a building block for the continental free trade area, is I think something that really changes the terms of, of, of discussion uh, on the EPAs and how we can make them. But I agree also that um, Europe is. Uh, the, the most integrated internal market, and I think this is something we should benefit. Uh, you will should be able of benefiting of all the expertise we have of creating an internal market, because in the end, if you want to invest, you will have to create also an internal market. That creates that's the incentive. So these are some areas so um, comprehensive. Uh, we don't talk about security. We don't talk about ins- instability. The overall governance remains important. And then a reciprocal commitment policy decisions on both sides mm-hmm. and commitment to implement on both sides and then i think we will be able to move forward very mm-hmm. much
0: okay so i had said initially i like the fact that we're not covering everything and you're basically saying we still need to cover everything i just wonder uh domikella I, I would say isn't it true that we are all we should perhaps divide the, 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 the responsibility of working because some people are good in some things and some people are good at other things, and the Africans also have a choice to make. So, uh, perhaps your response to um, some of the comments that have been made,
1: please. Thank you very much, um, and all very, very useful uh, comments. Um, so, let me just take um, this last point um, the four proposals that, that we have uh, put forward. I mean, uh, what we tried to do was um, explore within the centre our areas of expertise, the research that we've been doing, and, and actually try and bring to the table uh, what we thought would could be some very concrete, actionable proposals. Uh, we are not the uh, world's leading experts in climate change, unfortunately, although we hope to become that <laughs> at some point. <laughs> 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 um, um, Although we do have a program on uh, the future of work and artificial at- intelligence, uh, which we are um, just getting off the ground now. Again, we didn't feel we were in uh, a strong enough position to, to be able to, um, to put forward some concrete recommendations without merely just restating the challenges uh, of which we are all very familiar Maybe if I can respond to some, some of the points. Um, Stefano, the, um, the importance of an alliance with economic actors and civil society. It's absolutely crucial for us. Um, and, uh, and this is going to be a big part of our, our migration work moving forward as well. Um, we, we have already seen that the Global Skills Partnership proposal that, that we are uh, putting forward is gaining traction so, um, uh, and I have a, a colleague here um, who's who's leading the, the program itself. But for example, um, Belgium will be uh, Belgium will be um, working with uh, Guinea on a new global sc- skills partnership. So things are things are, are moving. I think the importance of um, of taking the idea as well to to Africa and uh, developing um, inter intra Africa. Uh, partnerships is also going to be crucial. Um, the problem is, uh, as the ambassador has said, this is I- in terms of the relationship between Europe and Africa, it is not a level playing field at the, no- at the moment. You do not have two equal partners sitting at the table. Um, and so in order to get there, there is going to be a huge amount of upskilling that will need to happen um, in Africa, which which is a, a requisite to, um, as you said, uh, to accruing the benefits of um, of integration. Um, debt levels, yes. I mean, we're we're uh, aware and have been monitoring uh, the rising debt levels um, in in uh, certain African countries. Uh, Of course, climate change is a a very important issue. I've mentioned why. Um, At this point, we haven't covered it. Um, What I want to say, though, is that this, once again, this is not a strategy. We do not see this as uh, a mirror strategy for uh, the the EU-Africa partnership. Uh, We are trying to take what we think is a rhetoric that is certainly moving in the right direction on the European side and see whether we can take it that step forward to actually make it a reality.
0: Thank you very much. Thank you to the panel. Sorry, speaking to the wrong end of the microphone. Uh, Thank you very much to the panel for uh, all your comments. Now, I'd like to, as I said earlier, lots of expertise and knowledge... uh, within this room, so I'd like to turn the floor to you, your comments, Uh, we have half an hour, so if you could keep your comments short and to the point and perhaps also questions, please name the the panelists that you want to ask the question to. So, uh, yes, please, sir, Uh, we have a roving microphone and please, sir, go ahead. Introduce yourself also very, very quickly, please. Can I see a show of hands of other people who'd like to come in? Yes, David? one campaign? Anyone else coming in? Please don't be shy. This is the moment to ask questions and I really want uh, uh, yeah. this interactive discussion. Please, sir.
6: Thank you, Shada. I'm Mr. Baruti. I'm involved in mm, Cooperation for Development for, let's say, 20 years. I'm based in Belgium and as African, uh, I want to give some input uh, on the presentation of my uh, Madame Michaela, which I... Uh, great because we know each other since a long time. The first one is for f- Africa Free Trade uh, Area. Uh, I want to uh, rec- clarify that it depends on the way uh, Africa leaders themselves they will uh, behave vis-à-vis uh, their own popula- population. Because if I give the example of the uh, able outbreak in DRC. I'm from DRC. When the outbreak raised, uh, Uganda and Rwanda uh, closed the uh, border. In Africa, perception, when your neighbor is in the problem and you close your, your doors, so it means that you are not, not yet ready to cooperate. That is one uh, as, aspect. Uh. The second is relating to the Involvement of civil society, as um, uh, Mr. Stefan raised, uh, I would add that not only civil society but also community. In DRC, in certain part of country, the number of deaths from Ebola outbreak raised because of perception, misperception between community, uh, uh, push some medical staff not to uh, to to care <laughs> the population uh, 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 affected by Ebola, but they don't say it clearly. It took a long time to discover that it was this kind of mis- misperception between the p- uh, community, because they, are, they were suspecting the community uh, affected that they are hosting uh, rebellion people. So it's uh, better to involve not only civil society, but uh, uh, also a pop- uh, community uh, living in the, uh, the border. Thank you.
0: Thank you very much indeed. sofia South Africa, please introduce yourself very quickly. Uh, thank you very much. I'm
6: from the South uh,
0: You need a microphone. I have a voice. No, it, that's fine. I think we, we are being web streamed and recorded and all kinds of things. So you do need a microphone. Thank you very much.
7: Thank you very much. I'm Suhefa Subedar from the South African Embassy and thank you for the invitation to this uh, very important uh, event. Thank you, Michaela. I was really pleased to see that you have brought back the issue of the common agricultural policy with regard to subsidies because at the heart of all issues is poverty. And even as Mr. Kunferfaka mentioned the issues taking place in South Africa at the moment, It's about resources. The migration policies in Europe affect countries in Africa directly. And what we see are the results of all of this. So we need a very honest, frank conversation to find true win-win solutions. Not just issues of migration in terms of securitization, but issues of migration in terms of development. What do they mean? How do we deal with these issues in terms of finding solutions that can actually work for all of us. Um, just to mention that with regard to the alliance of President Juncker, th- we all eventually welcomed it, although there was not real, really a consultation process. We see now that uh, with the incoming president, there is a possibility of a Green New Deal, and we hope we can do things differently, where we can all sit around the table. Brussels is full of buildings with lots of spaces, all ambassadors here have plenipotentiary powers. We would like a full interrogation to discuss this, that it is not just made in Brussels and given to us in Africa. But thank you very much. We welcome the interest of Europe in Africa.
0: Thank you very much. Uh, I'll go to David and then to you. Just David uh, from the One Campaign.
8: Thanks, Shara. Um, you mentioned at the start that uh, we've been working together on a, on a high-level group on the, the Europe-Africa relationship that brings together former heads of government and multilaterals and, and uh, business leaders and so on. Uh, and one of the interesting themes that has come out of that is the need for a shift in perception. I think um, among some quarters there is a perception that Africa needs Europe for development, cooperation, and, uh, and, and many other things. But I think you know over the coming decades, the shift will happen where Europe will need Africa for, for uh, human capital, for people with skills, for the innovation and ideas that come with youth. Um, as as Europe gets older, and Africa has a booming youth population, um, so I think we need we need to contribute to that shift as well as having these very concrete ideas that that kind of demonstrate that we're serious. The second point is about global norms. Um, we all know what's happening in China with a very different kind of approach to democracy and development. We know what's happening in, in the US. It seems that Africa and, and Europe share a very common vision about how governance should take place. And I think there's, there's a global uh, role that, that those two continents can play together. And then the third point is just on on resources. Michaela mentioned that there, there isn't in reality an equal uh, playing field and there are, are massive needs for investment in human capital. So as part of the MFF process, we have been arguing that there should be an investment of 140 billion euros, uh, particularly in things like health and education that will enable people to fulfill their potential and, and create businesses and jobs and, and make this all come to life. So I think we need to make those investments now rather than later, uh, because that's the way that it will pay off. Thank you. Please.
4: The gentleman then. Thank you. Uh, my name is Andreas Bakos from SEPS. I have a question regarding the topic of skills and upskilling that you mentioned. So by upskilling and training people, um, for example, for European labour markets, you would start at the end of their educational career after they went through through their schooling system in their countries of origin. And we would need to do that because we know that while education has expanded, learning has actually not, that the education system is still very ineffective in providing people with skills for the labour market. Why do we talk about then Upskilling of young adults instead of helping with the reform of the educational system in order to make it more effective in the Production of skills for everyone there. Thank you
0: Thank you. Yes, please Let me take quite a few comments and then we'll come back to you yeah
9: please thank you very much my name is Matoya Wolf I'm the representative of the Spanish Agency for Development Cooperation here in Brussels thank you so much for organizing that and for moderating that and uh, I would have a question both for Michaela also for Kuhn and for the ambassador on the EIP and uh, your quite uh, sharp (laughs) criticism to it uh, first of all, just uh, t- a comment on, on the EAP. It has just been launched so, so, s- somehow, so we cannot uh, write the, the results already. But uh, you mentioned uh, the, the climate investment, many uh, in, in the uh, uh, forum. So what would be your uh, three main... Uh, uh, recommendations on climate investment in, in different African countries uh, uh, what would you recommend as uh, the needed reforms for, for climate investment uh, in order to foster uh, real impact investment and also very much related to SDGs and Agenda 2030. Thank you.
0: Thank you very much. I, did I see? Yes, I did. yes. So please, there's another hand up there.
5: Mary um, Grombrowski Brugel, the two things which I um, consider as a very big obstacles to Africa uh, development are um, continuing conflict and and, and uh, governance problem. They, they are not, uh, They were not discussed in this report. But is anything here which uh, uh, Europe can do more than it did in the past? To, to, to remove these obstacles, especially conflict resolutions.
0: Thank you. Yes, the lady
3: over here, please. Uh, thank you for a great panel. My name is Ama Panin from the World Bank. Um, and as a Ghanian, I usually find myself reminding people that Africa is a continent and not a country. But I feel like my question this time for the panel is turning that around, <laughs> which is, thinking about the diversity of Europe and European countries with different interests, different histories, and engagement with the continent, I'd be curious to hear some of your reflections on how the different interests might hinder the sort of coordinated Mm -hmm. actions that you've been speaking of and how we should think about that as we think of a European connection
10: with Africa. Thank you.
0: Thank you very much. Uh, Yes, please, yes.
10: Yes, we have been <coughs> speaking about uh, partnership among equals. We have been to- talking about the need to, to have a more political dialogue on these global challenges, <coughs> and that the EU-Africa partnership is meant to to really face help facing these challenges. I would like to know how now you are doing a political dialogue with Africans, with the African Union, with the African... <coughs> Bodies, political bodies, on the post Cotonou agreement, because this is a key issue on the table now. And I've heard that it is rather blocked for the time being, because on one hand, there is a mandate to to negotiate with an an SCP framework, but considering that Africa is not united or integrated, still uh, (coughs) catching out the North African issues and so on. And the other one, there is the request of the African Union. (coughs) politically, which have been already raised in 2006 in the the Lisbon uh, first EU Africa summit, that now Europe should consider Africa as a continent, as united, and therefore a new framework for cooperation and partnership should be developed. And therefore, this is why African Union has been asking for a continent-to-continent framework. So I would like to know more about this issue, please. Great question.
0: Yeah, fine. And the gentleman just next
11: to you, so. Thank you. Well, mine is more of a comment, Mm -hmm. and that's this question of uh, Europe, Africa. Of course, I'm ambassador to Europe, and therefore I should, uh, as an ambassador to Europe, I should emphasize that that's the most important relationship. At least the ambassador to China would say, China, uh, Europe is most important."
0: The ambassador
11: but of... Uh, sorry, I don't know you
0: yet. So, ambassador oh. Namibia, Namibia. Namibia. That's what I thought. Ah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mr. Yes. Mubende.
11: I, I thought you did. Yes, I do, <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Mubende. Which you do. Yes, um, and, but I, I was surprised. It was David who was talking about that? Uh, Africa needs Europe now, and Europe will need Africa in the future. Europe has always needed Africa.
12: Good
11: point. You know, and it goes back. They needed slaves, and they needed raw materials, and it goes on. So uh, let's get away from the perception that one needs the other more than the other, and that's why it's a partnership. Uh, and there is also complementarity in terms of economies, in terms of... I think that's... Uh, I just wanted to dispel that notion that Europe would need Africa in the future. Europe has always needed Africa. Maybe they needed Africa more than Africa needed Europe, and that's a <laughs> historical fact. And I just for the record, I think the, 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 the second point is uh, nah, I'm <laughs> now I've been distracted. Now, then the other issue is yes, the question of uh, whether the partnership is not equal uh, and we don't meet as equal. I think I, I had that. Well, we take ourselves seriously. And when we meet there, when I meet with Stefano, we are equal. I don't feel that I'm inferior to him in any way. You may have more money than I do, but uh, (laughs) that's besides the point, (laughs) you know? And I think we believe in the sovereign equality of nation states. And when we meet there with our little resources, with all our challenges, we go there as equals. And we talk as equals. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, And so therefore, we have to dispel some of these notions. I think there is a serious partnership that has been taking place at and, uh, and, uh, different levels. I think that's one. Now, in terms of the future, the future Africa-Europe, uh, that's a complex one. But Africa, I think as far as Africa is, is concerned, they have taken a desi- decision. African heads of state have decided how they want to ga- engage Europe going forward. So there's no doubt about that. And we're very clear how we want to uh, engage Europe going forward. Mm-hmm. <coughs> There are two tracks, which is the the, the, the ACP mm-hmm. and the Africa-EU Joint Partnership, and the relationship between those two, when you come to uh, concrete implementation of programmes and projects and and even political dialogue, uh, it's um, I think it's it's quite clear that yes, and and even there's a compromise where you have. Uh, a specific African protocol under the Cotonou that will facilitate a meeting between Europe and Africa under that framework. So there is no clarity. I mean, there is no lack of clarity. What what we all need to do is to complete the negotiations on specific issues and agree and move forward. And I thank you and sorry for being a bit long.
0: No, no, that's (laughs) fine, Ambassador. Uh, I'm just very conscious of the time because we need to finish by 6 o'clock, but I do want to take the comment from the Lady at the back, and then that will be the end of... uh, You want to come in as well? Okay, then one more comment,
12: please. My name is Amanda Bissong from ECDPM, um, and my question is directed basically to um, the panelists from the um, European Commission. Uh, European Union Commission. I, I'm looking now and listening also to the discussions about this equal partnership between Europe and Africa. And while we've seen it also in the in the discussions between Europe and, and African partners being restated severally we also see a different level of these um, partnerships occurring, occurring at the bilateral, at the regional, and at the continental level. And sometimes we see that one level is being used to undermine the partnerships at another level. So I'm trying to understand here if there's some level of policy coherence that is at work or isn't at work or is... Um, willingly being ignored by some states. And also, while there's a lot of dialogue and discussion on equal partnership, why the quality of this partnership is being, or we're seeing that it's being diminished at some points when it comes to relationships at the bilateral level.
0: Okay, thank you. And last point by uh, Gwillem, EBRD.
13: Thank you very much. Gwillem Jones from the EVRD. Well, thank you very much for, the, for this paper, which is very interesting and, and stimulating. For, first question to, to the ambassador. Uh, we heard Kun talk about uh, the EPAs being a building block for the Continental Free Trade Agreement. Very interested to hear your views also on how the existing regional integration processes already there in Africa fit in and how these are being fitted together, like ECOWAS, CEMAC, uh, SIAC and so on. Um, and then, of course, like my Spanish colleague, uh, I can't but react also uh, to the, the rather early criticism of the FSD and say that, you know, like my colleague, I, it's very early days to come in. The, the proposals are just on the table, so I, you know, I felt that was rather harsh. Uh, <laughs> but still, uh, I hear what you say about wanting much bigger focus on fragile economies. Um, and I'd be interested to hear from the panel a, how it sees this, but also perhaps to reflect more broadly, because, of course, you know we're talking about the Continental Free Trade Agreement, we're talking about regional integration. So part of the underlying philosophy is surely also that we want uh, emerging economies to be there to drive the growth and the attractiveness also of the fragile economies. So, you know, I, I always felt that the, the fact of keeping it open in the regulation between fragile economies and a broader focus was also because we want that balance between doing things in fragile areas, but also using the growth of the bigger emerging economies to help those in more fragile circumstances. And I'd be interested in the reflections of the panel on that. Thank you. Okay.
0: Thank you, Guillaume. Thank you, everyone, for your comments and questions. I'm going to go back to the panel. Uh, start with you, Ambassador, if if I may, uh, to give your uh, reactions. Please, uh, panelists, don't jump on every single issue that's been raised. Just choose what you think is the most relevant for you. So, Ambassador, quite a few that are relevant for you.
3: Thank you, Shada. That's uh, comforting. (laughs) (laughs) So, the EPAs. For... West Africa, we've had to sign the interim EPA because um, two of the countries in West Africa, the cocoa-producing countries, Ghana and Cote d'Ivoire, we needed to sign this because all our cocoa was coming to Europe. And being our largest trading partner, we needed to safeguard that commodity. Now, if you take SADAC, it's the EPAS was, I can say, fully operational. Um, in Central Africa, it was just uh, one country, I think, and it didn't happen elsewhere on the continent. But the EPAS gave us um, the, it gave us a framework. It also gave us the ability to pull together the resources that we could all enjoy if when we integrate our um, economies let's also take our regional trading blocks like you said the formation of ECOWAS the formation of COMESA sadac uh, all the different uh, economic uh, areas has is what we have used to pull ourselves together Right now, we have all realized how important it is to um maximize all uh, um the advantages that each and every um regional area would have. If you go down south um and those in the um in the oceans, they talk about the blue economy, which is very important if you come to West Africa we have the um, commodities, we have the um, black um, gold. If you go elsewhere, the water resources. So we have realized that on the continent, we have all these, and through the regional economic uh, communities, we, we are able to pull together our um, resources. And the heads of state, They have realized this and are talking together. The Inga Dam, the Africa we want to see um, um, in 2030, has brought together, we have open skies now, we have um, visa-free um, agreements being signed here and there. So you will realize that within the trading blocks and within our economic communities, it has helped us to fashion out how we can pull our resources together and work together towards this integration that we are all seeing. Thank you for raising that. My question, Quin, the EPAs, and I also wanted to ask a question on the EPAs. Do we come with the coming in of the CFTA? Do we do away with the EPAs? No, or do we um, mainstream the EPAs to be able to um, infuse it into, if I should use that word, into the um, what we want to see in the CFTA? And talking about Africa needing Europe or Europe needing Africa. Let's take, by 2050, the largest workforce is going to be on the African continent. The youth are going to um, be the largest workforce in the whole world. And Africa has that, those numbers now. What do we do now? Train them so that when you need them, you'll be able to fall on them? Should we not be talking about the skills building, the skills transfer? These are things that I am hoping that we will be looking at. And hence my um, rehashing AI. I don't know, but I have this um, phobia about the AI and how it's going to, the skills training, how the job creation, how it's going to influence all that. These are my um, thoughts on the issues raised. Thank you, Sadek.
0: Thank you, Ambassador. And absolutely on AI, I think uh, we're all going to be working on AI in Africa in in the coming weeks and months, so that's clear. So, Kuhn, I was going to give you the floor, but the Ambassadors asked the question, so kick off.
5: Thank you. I will want to, to respond to two or three questions. Thank First you. of all, the diversity within the European Union. I think there was a question uh, on that side of the room. Of course, you, we have countries who we have a specific past or a specific uh, focus on, on, on Africa. Uh, but I think, and that's exactly also the work the External Action Service do, and, and the High Representative, uh, the new High Representative will continue, is to forge an Africa policy. And none of our member states is able to take on the, the different challenges uh, that uh, that are faced in in Africa. So there is a strong wish to come together. Uh, and to have EU policy, not only in the development side, and I think that works well also in joint programming, but certainly also in, in, in politics, uh, what we do in the Sahel, with the G5 Sahel, of course we have Germany, we have France, we're taking lead roles, but together uh, with many other member states, we have 16 member states actually working in Mali in the area of security as a member of the UN mission, as a member of our European Union missions, or bilaterally. So it shows that from Finland to uh, to, to, to Italy, uh, all member states are now really focused on, on Africa. And that brings me to the point of, um, do we need Africa? And, and of course, I think the ambassador of Namibia is is right. We have needed Africa in the past for uh, many, many reasons and not always uh, certainly positive or good reasons. And I think this has changed now. I think what has changed is that we have a convergence of interests. Europe really has a need that Africa is stable and prosperous for demographic reasons, for security reasons. And on top of it, we need Africa also, and it has been said, for the global agenda. Together we can determine a global agenda and it's very difficult to find partners these days uh, in the world uh, to set a positive agenda and I think we can uh, do this together. So this, it's this convergence of interests which uh, changes and I think that makes also the, the equality of the partnership uh, that goes beyond, as has been said, be beyond the financial, uh, financial means. Um, On on EPAS, I think it's it's the way you you said it, that the second option, it should infuse the uh, the continental free trade area. We should, we will, I think it's important to continue. Your country is a partner and benefits uh, from it. Of course, there are always uh, problems, but continental free trade area will have to be, be built on the experience of a regional market. And I think that's what EPAS exactly are trying to do.
0: Thank you very much, Mr. Fayol.
4: I just would like to make, um, to make two or three comments. Uh, one, I think one of the big changes why uh, the EU-Africa partnership is more equal than before uh, is because many of the challenges are actually more and more uh, not the same but not that different between uh, Europe and Africa. When you look at climate when you look at uh, health when you look at the number of these big challenges uh, they are not so different and the solutions uh, are not so different actually and we use our experience to uh, in, in, in different geographies to uh, to help other geographies and uh, this called co- this cross fertilization is uh, is quite uh, quite helpful my second comment is to to stress one point that, that, that Quinn made in, the, in her, his first, um, first intervention, um, EIP uses what we have tried to develop with the Juncker plan for investment within Europe, which is not only financing, but technical assistance and uh, thinking in terms of policy reforms. And the three go together. And, and if we if we want to, to strengthen the, uh, the 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 investment possibilities in, in Africa, and we are a bank, we are not going to uh, to develop projects that are not bankable. If you want to develop bankable projects, you need these other two uh, beyond beyond financing. That is uh, more technical assistance and more uh, of the of the policy. Um, the policy agenda. And one final word on on governance, for us at EIB, what we have seen in the the, the, the recent period is a need looking forward to include more in the way we manage the governance of projects more the views of the uh, beneficiary countries from from Africa.
0: Thank you.
2: Well, thank you. Obviously time is short. I, uh, let's say I used to take this kind of discussion not just uh, to, uh, let's say, present the position that everybody knows, but rather to participate uh, to what is a genuine search. Because my first point is that you know, mm, in if we want to take seriously all what we are saying, uh, the alliance, or in any case, the partnership ab- um, among equals, et cetera, et cetera, we are progressively to get rid of a certain number of language, concept, and a bit of hypocrisy, which is on all sides. If we want to look at the at the reality in face, you know. This is what uh, my friend Ambassador of Namibia is saying. We are equal. When we sit, we are equal. And therefore, I'm entitled to blame on it when, it, when it, it, it does things which are wrong, and we should do increasingly, because it is not just hiding behind the development assistance and then a sort of no, way that everything is, et cetera, et cetera. Undermining, uh, we undermining. Africans are undermining themselves every day at all levels. Look at what Nigeria is doing in Western Africa. What, I mean, let, let's get rid of all this. Let's look at facts uh, in order to be able to work really as equal because uh, we are in this dimension. It's a huge work, and I have to say, in particular for those which have been working embedded in the development uh, in the old fashion, in which many things have been set aside. Now, we cannot do it, and we cannot do it precisely for the reasons that I tried to put at the beginning. We are talking about uh, the shaping of a new world. Not just about the relationship between two continents. If we if we do it wrong, uh, you know, the contribution that our partnership uh, is giving to a search uh, of a new equilibrium, balance, etc., etc., in this multipolar world will fail. You know, and uh, on this, uh, SDGs are important uh, not as uh, um, indicators of transfer of money, but as indicators of uh, mm, of pushing ahead right policies of sustainability. You know. This is what I want to say, and please think in these terms, because then we can enter really into a discussion which is much more, let's say, um, operational and useful. I, c- I, back I came back to a certain number of points, in particular EIP. Mm, you know. I think that contrary to what maybe I was supposed to say, and maybe said, I think that the call on uh, the missing, uh, let's say, clear political steer, a bit exaggerated maybe, but uh, the call to, to focus better on what we want and how is the right one, because uh, it is true that uh, you know th- this uh, investment plan has been launched first, uh, starting on migration, uh, create jobs in order to stop. We know that is much more than this. Second, uh, you know blending and the risking uh, yes, but blending and the risk is not something that is invented in, in today's if we are not able progressively to identify where this can add value in the vast world of what uh, the the International Financial Institution, World Bank and others are doing, then we are simply missing what is the new added value on this, which cannot be everywhere on everything. So, third, it is also true that missing this, uh, it is obvious that the balance is seen elsewhere or in another way. Which is, uh, and I can testify because otherwise we are joking ourselves, that very often we conclude uh, with uh, our partners, being EIB or others, that, uh, more on the basis of reconstructing ex post what we have to do, but not uh, building the pipeline as we should. And by the way, when we are saying now in this pre programming phase, it uh, is precise to call on our delegation and their still limited expertise. We call on EIB as a EU bank. To work uh, much more together. In order and we, we, we call on the member state each visit I have uh, and say, look, next pipeline should come from you, not from the EIB, IFD, KFW, et cetera, et cetera. Because today is a bit like this. And the fact that each of these institutions are, in any case, producing something which is linked to the country is not enough. Don't want to say it's bad, simply say it's not enough. If we want to really say and be serious in saying that investment under guarantee is another mean in order to reach SDG, we have to fill this gap. Therefore, the call is welcome. Could be a bit exaggerated, a bit, unha- but, but it's, it's, it's welcome because this must be decided. Third point one of the things that, in my view, is starting appearing in our experience is a bit what Ambroise said in the sense that we have to intervene more on the financial market uh, in the countries the banking system eh, in the uh, average african country cannot sustain any kind of uh, investment generated from inside mm. you know certainly not finance small and medium enterprise certainly not finance uh, startup but this cannot be done by external we can we are setting up an expertise in uh, g- an in guarantee fund but then we have to work uh, with the countries in order to professionalize the financial market service. B- because this is not assuming that a bank wants in, in Burkina Faso wants even accept even the idea to finance uh, a startup. they have not the capacity to analyze the business plan on average. Therefore, the factor to intervene on the capital market and financial service uh, in the countries in our uh, now Let's say experience uh, is something that starting indicated uh, an area in which our added value could be good you know then on the trade chapter you know and it's also in, in the light I think frankly that the shape chapter is, is, is probably the weakest one because it is still tainted with a certain number of assumptions which are not entirely correct first uh, uh, agriculture use subsidies I mean frankly speaking <laughs> it's, uh, it's uh, empty there is virtually no agriculture, subsidy in our export, okay? Mm -hmm. By the way, the international market is not on tariff. It's about standard, it's about quality. Here there are barriers, of course. Here there are barriers. And precisely in the moment when there is a discussion and the process on uh, the setting up of the continental free trade area, we are all well advised, if we want to increase the possibility for investment uh, into Africa and uh, from Europe to Africa, to, to look about the standards because otherwise, you know, you, you know, the tariff not exist, Agricultural subsidy, come on, they're, they're virtually close to zero. But uh, the barriers mm-hmm. are not on this, are on the quality, are on the phytosanitary, are on this. And we believe that our experience in having built our single market uh, could be a good uh, let's say, um, story to tell to our African friends, which at the end will decide what they want. But uh, if we are economically so integrated, and not exclusively, I, I think that we have to concentrate on this. <coughs> Rules of origin, yes, are important, but marginally. Unless we want uh, to turn African manufacturers, still unfinished effort, into a sewing machine, as we knew in Cambodia and in other, which have created very low-skilled labour market. I don't think that this is what uh, we need to do in Africa. At least uh, should not be our ambition in the this sense. This, this is what uh, I think we have, we, we have to look at. And uh, to compare notes on that, and uh, the, 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 no, the relationship between post to no ACP on one side, the African Union, apart from the fact that negotiations are going on very well, to a point that on the 28th of September, there will be a neg- the, the, the one of the final provisional negotiation session between the two chief negotiations, in order to precise, starting fixing what is the design. But one thing uh, must be true, because otherwise uh, we don't understand each other. The new post cotonou DCP cannot be seen as the development slash cash machine of uh, a political alliance. If we separate the two, we are dead. Instead of reinforcing what we are doing, we will even make weaker. reason why we have insisted since the beginning that uh, the African pillar of the post cotonou Should accommodate in a way or another, you know, the uh, rich political debate experience that we have done in the joint strategy and with the African Union. African Union Commission, we said several times, made a huge mistake in opposing this, huge mistake politically, because it was based on uh, the the presumption that they could have become the federator and negotiator for the whole of Africa without having the experience and without having a mandate, you know. But we knew this. But instead of saying, don't do it, we try and to accommodate this, because we have to be pragmatic. We wanted to uh, have and expand this. But we don't want to have a dissociation with all the rest. And with the key stakeholders of the African, you know, with uh, African member state. So just to say that we have to work on this, then the different level, you know, the regional, the IPA, and the continental, obviously the IPAs are, or in any case, not our IPAs. Your regional integration are ah, the, b- the the starting building blocks of uh, the, the the continental, you know, because if you dismantle, <laughs> you know, this will be totally totally logic, starting from Saku and 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 Sebek, but also arriving elsewhere. But at the same time, I mean, progressively, and, and I think, by the way, in the plan of the African Union negotiator is precisely to first uh, let's say create the bridges between the blocks and the continent and progressively harmonizing. Yeah. This, I think, uh, is, uh, so therefore, from this point of view, I think that we have to make an effort uh, in order to share even more what we have to do. For the rest, I think many think uh, that they fully agree, uh, but I also welcome, you know, sometimes the critical spirit. Maybe it could not be uh, fully, fully, you know, uh, to the center, but in this moment, it's better to maybe, you know, to leverage a bit with the criticism rather than to say, you know, everything's okay. You just yeah, every many things are okay. Many things will require a push. Right. And therefore, I think it's okay. Thank
0: you. Absolutely, Stefano. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, so, uh, Michaela, you've heard the comments. You've got some good advice, some constructive comments, uh, and some criticism as well. So very quickly, because we're already over time, um, do you want to say something in response? What's the next step for your roadmap? What are you going to do? Uh,
1: and then I want to wind up. Great. Thank you very much. Um, and thank you. To all the panelists and the the uh, audience as well for some very useful comments. Um, we th- this is just the beginning as far as we're concerned. Um, so uh, our intention now with the roadmap is is to take uh, each uh, each area, each chapter uh, separately, and to try and dig deeper and to see whether. We can um, sit down with the Commission, uh, with uh, other colleagues, with our African partners um, to, uh, to try and, and see whether we can make any, any um, uh, inroads and, and steps forward. Um, so over the next uh, few months, at least, we will be, um, we will be uh, uh, publishing more research behind each of the chapters. We will be uh, producing blogs as well, and continuing the conversations in in um, uh, smaller, more um, uh, focused uh, fora as well, Um, as as we have in fact been doing with the um, with our work on the external uh, investment plan as well. And if I could just add one thing, I mean, um, what. We are we are essentially very positive about the external investment plan um, when it was launched in 2017. Not not that um, not that uh, recently, but you know the Commission was uh, proposing to take a relatively small amount of money and use that to create risk-sharing tools um, to bring the, the development finance institutions together. Uh, to collaborate uh, a lot more in, you know, proposing projects, and I accept that only a few of these contracts uh, have have in, have only been recently signed. Um, but I think what 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 the big concern is for us now is that um, it was fine when, you know, as uh, as it was first launched for the Commission to let a thousand flowers bloom because it was one of our, our Dutch colleagues who said, actually, this was like flying a plane whilst building it, mm-hmm. and that's perfectly acceptable. Mm-hmm. But as the, commission, the new commission comes into office and the new multi-annual framework mm-hmm. uh, is finally agreed, which is proposing a massive scale-up in the use of these risk-sharing tools, there are certain preconditions that need to, to be met before that actually happens. And that is, it needs to be much more focused with a lot more money um, at, at your disposal. It's got to be focused on th- I- the initial intention, which was to mobilize investment where the need is greatest. Mm-hmm.
0: Thank you very much indeed. Uh, we've overstepped our time limit and so I really need to bring this to an end, but Michaela, your point is well taken. Just uh, to wrap up, I think one thing that Michaela said I think is very, very important is we're all working uh, on these issues, all of you here as well I'm sure, uh, conditional on our areas of expertise and I think that is something that is very important and it's something that Stefano has also said, it's the importance of networking, working together, coordinating. We can't all in Africa and in Europe do the same thing, and we shouldn't, but we can divide our responsibilities. And important, important, crucial to work with Africans, and that means uh, with African think tanks as well, Ambassador, just a note for you. Final point, I've been a journalist uh, working for the BBC African Service, Uh, Kuhn knows that, Sefa knows that, and it's been an incredible voyage when it comes to Africa. I am so delighted now that this is not just a marginal issue that a few journalists and a few policy experts do uh, when they're covering the global story. We are really deep inside the geopolitical issue, and we're deep inside trying to renovate, re-energize this question. My only point now would be, um, at w- with the One Campaign and Moe Brian Foundation, we're really focusing also on women. Uh, girls and women, education, skilling, upscales, upscaling skills for women and girls. Because, Ambassador, you can appreciate that for us, that is, I think, really the way to the future of Africa. No women, no development. So, thank you very much indeed, Michaela, for asking me to moderate. Thank you to the panelists. And uh, I think we have a reception now, so we're ready to go. Thank you. <laughs>